never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Another fantastic day for an interview. And I'm really, really pleased to have Ni Dang with me. Ni is a colleague from California who, like me, um, has realized that life is not getting easier for many, many of our patients and not for us. Um, COVID has has led to many challenges. Uh, the world seems to get worse and worse, and our mental health is increasingly under attack. So I'm so pleased that I've got Nia on the show because he has taken a different approach um, how to help people. And he, like me, we both believe that it is much easier to create strong young beings rather than repair broken adults. So therefore, it's so beautiful to have a man who who thinks along those same lines. So Nia, welcome to my show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. Absolutely. A fellow author, fellow doctor. Um, but that's about where our similarities end. Your past has been very different. You grew up in a different country. Tell us a bit, how was how did you how did your life start? Yeah, I was actually uh, the youngest uh, of four. I was born in Vietnam. Our family immigrated to the States when I was six, turning seven. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, first turning second grade. So it was a big, big change, you know, not only language-wise, but also cultural-wise, you know, mm -hmm. going from uh, a Southeast Asian country to uh, the States is, you know, mm -hmm. big. When, when did you come across? Uh, I was six, turning seven. Yeah, but no, which, day, uh, which year was that? Oh, uh, 1991. Good. So we are not talking about people here, not the in the aftermath of the Vietnam War, but one generation later. Um, so cool. Okay. So and was that in for economic reasons that you that your parents wanted to create a different life and different chances for you? Yeah, you know, with the, the wake of the war, you know, things were not great so i mm. think my parents had an opportunity to come to the states uh we have family over here so they took the you know, the chance and took us mm. over here give us a better opportunity than uh, mm. that we would have had oh beautiful well exactly i mean that's what every parent would like to do and kudos to them for actually taking that that journey so all three of you were thrown into the deep end because they would have suffered just as much or been challenged, not suffered, but being challenged by a different culture. Um, oh, where you oh, yeah, well, yeah, definitely. They uh, uh, they were, uh, my dad was a calculus teacher. My mom was a genetics teacher. So you oh, know, wow. in Southeast Asia, you know, they have this, this culture where you really respect your teachers mm -hmm. and, you know, mm -hmm. you look up to them, you don't talk back to them and they have this like a level of respect. Whereas in the States, I mean, that doesn't exist. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's a big change. And then, you know, they actually give up all their, their job because to, you know, find any job to make a living to put us through school. Mm. Wow. Wow. Um, did you experience racism at that time? Yeah, I mean, in night nine one, I think that's a big big thing going on at that time especially with um there's a misunderstanding um you know in the 991 i think we unfortunately we, when we came over here we 
um, moved with my aunt who lives in a predominantly Caucasian area where there's not many other Asians. So I just definitely you know, stood out like a sore thumb. I was like, I was the odd man out, didn't speak English, didn't understand the culture. So, I mean, it was bound to happen. Mm. Were you prepared for that? Were you, I mean, you were a little boy then. Um, so it would have been quite a challenge. Um, was it racism? Was it bullying? Was it a combination? You know, I think it's a kind of definitely a combination of um, being bullied and you know being being picked on because I, I stood out from everyone else. You know, not knowing the language, looking different, mm -hmm. acting different, thinking different. You know, from top top to bottom, I was, did not fit in at whatsoever. That can either make you or break you. Um, obviously you have turned into a doctor and that is a bloody hard job to do. So was school, whilst you might've been bullied there, was that actually a refuge for you? Was that actually something where you felt, uh, safe, where you could within the classroom, where you could excel? No, it's funny you asked that. Actually, you know, it's my parents are teachers. In Vietnam, I was actually at the top of my class, even though it was in the only first grade, but you know, it's pretty competitive in Asia. Yeah. Um, and then it moved up here. I literally became like the worst student in class. I didn't understand anything. I didn't understand any topics. Mm -hmm. didn't understand a single word. The only thing I did understand was just math. But that was like one topic out of, mm -hmm. <laughs> out of the rest of them. <laughs> so it was a... Uh, it was actually a tough time I mean, transitioning being from the best student to being the worst student and then not fitting in, not having friends. I remember used to looking at the clock and like waiting till the end of the day so I could go home. Right. Goodness. So bloody hard times. Uh, yeah. How, how did you transform? What did happen for you? To become the man that you are now you know i think a lot of it was seeing the struggles that my parents went through and then seeing the struggles of my siblings and and then uh, a lot of soul searching kind of figure out who i was as a person um and then you know seeing how much they struggled pushed me harder to kind of get it together and push myself further and get through all the hard times. Wow. Wow. Who were your role models? I mean, growing up, my parents were my role models, obviously, mm. but, you know, seeing them struggle, seeing them transition, um, mm. it was tough. Like, I remember I didn't want them to know what was going on at school and what was happening to me because I didn't want or stress on them. Oh. I would used to turn on the shower and then I would just go in the shower and cry in the shower. <sighs> yeah. How many years did that last? I, you know, luckily for kids, like they were able to pick up language pretty fast. Mm. So I think maybe like three, four years, it took me to kind of pick up the language mm. and kind of pick up the culture, you know, you kind of learn from watching TV and uh, kind of just adapting, right? Just be a chameleon, just adapt to your new environment. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, that is, um, 
that is the fate of so many young children. Let it be children of, of alcoholic parents or drug addicted parents or parents from where there's huge trauma within the generations. Um, children often end up trying to protect their parents, trying to protect themselves by people pleasing, by being quiet, never knowing what's happening, always be on guard, nearly a little bit like PTSD, some aspects of it. Um, with hindsight, did you become such a person? You know, I feel like, like being alone gave me a lot of time to, to kind of do soul searching like at a young age and kind yeah. of figure out who I was as a person, you know, what defines me, what what I'm okay with, what I'm not okay with. Like sometimes I remember sitting there just watching other kids play and just reminiscing about well, where I used to have friends. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes it, it was tough, but, you know, after a while I kind of grew accustomed to that being alone. I felt, you know what, it's okay. And like, I'm okay being by myself. Like. I, I don't have to constantly be around people and have mm. a bunch of friends. And mm. it kind of made me be more of a, <laughs> um, in tune with myself. Which of course is beautiful because then you, you grow, you, you can uh, find strength, um, not from external things, but actually from within yourself and from from learning, from growing. When you started learning, when you, once you got the language sorted and you started uh, learning, I mean, in order to get into medicine, you have to be pretty good, at least where I come from. Um, yeah. You had to be, uh, you know, top of the, you know, I don't know how many percent. In yeah. Germany, it was basically, I happened to be, uh getting quite hooked on learning so i became just the best at school um so i could just choose where i go but the lower down on the totem pole you were the more difficult it became i assumed that was the same in the united states yeah i mean uh i think for our system is we finish college first and then yeah. we take our uh, you know our mmcat which is our entrance exam for med school yeah. and then we apply oh. Yeah, so it isn't like a, a straight up high school deal like you know in Asia or certain European countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. But still, you it is all competitive. Oh, yeah. It is hard, yeah, hard work. Yeah, it's highly competitive. How did you did you become so good? What was the key? What was the key to your transformation from that bullied child that needed time to sort himself out and try to find that strength to becoming a person who you are now or at least you know let's say who you have been 10 years 12 years ago you know to be honest i think it's still a a moving moving target you know we're still growing and learning yeah. day by day i mean <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> the person i am today is definitely not the person like 10 years ago and not the yeah. person in college so it's it's continual learning process i think yeah. no one's kind of really sorted it out you know? <laughs> unless you know you're some special guru <laughs> but <laughs> but in general i don't think anyone's kind of have a life sorted out got their everything figured out i think we're all trying to just scramble and learn as we go along yeah so, so I don't think I 
I can pinpoint a date where I'm like, oh yeah, I got, I figured it out at that day. Yeah. No, that's fair call. That's fair call. And, and indeed, I mean, you grow, um, but none of the people I know have grown linearly. Um, uh, we all take detours. Um, was there a rebel in you at some stage? Oh yeah. I think, uh, so once I got the language down, you know, started working hard in school or doing well in school. And then uh, I think when I got to college, I don't know, something kind of snapped in me where I'm just like, man, <laughs> what, like, what is the purpose of all this? Right. I think everyone kid goes to like, what is the purpose of life? Like, why am I doing all this? You know, I think that's when, uh, I think that's when I kind of lost direction while in college and trying to figure out what's going on, why I'm doing it, why, what is the meaning of life, like, why am I doing all this, you know, what was the purpose of all that suffering I went through, right? Yeah, so I think um, in college, I definitely kind of veered from the path and just, you know, started getting in trouble, goofing around and <laughs> skipping class. <laughs> But <laughs> well, there are some people who define getting into trouble by skipping class. Um, there are other people who are measuring that more in DUIs, in uh, amount of partners they had, in um, which kind of drugs do we want to take today to go up, down, left, right? Um, <laughs> what, where were you at? <laughs> I mean, I was definitely uh, going to like. Like um, you know what they call like raves and <laughs> at that time. So excellent, <laughs> excellent. So definitely uh, had some uh, party years with me. <laughs> and I guess we'll leave it there. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but fair call, fair call. Um, I think the reality is it is uh, it will happen sooner or later in each life. Um, for some of us, we got it behind us early on. Um, some of us, it happens when you're 40. And then the so-called midlife crisis really kicks in. And then it's going to be expensive. <laughs> Hell. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you know, uh, maybe the two of us are lucky. We've we done it all and, and got it out of our system. Uh, but the reason I'm asking all these questions is because you nowadays have taken a very different path. You are very strong about storytelling and about making a change in the world um which is beautiful i mean that's that's the that's the kind of ideal that's the romantic way how we look at family physicians is there for us always around the clock you know the, the kind of marie uh um what's the teresa um sister teresa um the, the kind of holy person that's often the picture of the family physician when in reality you poor guys, my God, 95% of your work is bloody boring and dry feel. And then those one, two, five percent, um, which can blow up in your face because it's an undiagnosed cancer disguising itself. I don't know how you guys do it. So this romantic kind of picture that some people have, knowing family physicians and or GPs as they're called over here, general practitioners. Yeah. 
bloody hell, I wouldn't know how to do it. Okay. You, I take my hat off to you. I'm a specialist anesthetist. That's great. I've got a whole team around me. Okay. Yeah. So that's right. It's, you know, if, if I get into trouble, there's probably someone around I can ask for help. You yeah. are it. Man, you're my hero. Okay. So get that out of the way. I've got a high, 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 uh, hold you in high esteem. Oh, thank you. Uh, oh, absolutely. But it it's intriguing. So you went into uh, uh, being a family physician. And that is probably one of the hardest, hardest areas in general, as far as I'm concerned, but especially so when it came to COVID. What yeah, was definitely. your experience there? Yeah, I mean, with COVID, it was like, you know, I was actually doing, um, I'm a hybrid, so I do inpatient and outpatient. Yeah. So, yeah, that was an interesting time um, when it, when I was uh, back on the inpatient side for the first time when COVID hit, it was, it was actually, you know, really scary. Like, none of us knew much about it. I had little kids at home. And you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, "Shit, I don't want to die." <laughs> you know, I got my kids. I don't want to get my. I don't want my kids to get sick, and want my yeah. wife to get sick, and I don't yeah. want parents to get sick. So, it was scary. I mean, I remember, um, you know, just like everyone else, we would you know change in the garage and shower and go to a separate room after we get home. We didn't even know what was going on. Like mm. we didn't want to put anybody at mm. risk. Mm. And then, um, yeah, it was. The inpatient actually was probably the most stressful. But at least outpatient, I think a lot of it is it got transitioned to telemedicine. So a lot of virtuals like telephone, Zoom calls, and mm -hmm. videos. So I think that's that's also a hard pivot for some people. But I think it's not as stressful as actually, you know, thrown into the fire. Mm. So true. Having said that, um, it's often for, for patients out there, they, it's hard for them to um, see what's the difference between a phone call and us seeing the patient. Well, 95% of communication is nonverbal. There are so many cues that we look out for as doctors and, and are good in picking up. I can I can make a, a diagnosis of a depression pretty much from the moment you walked from the door to my chair. Um, so, you know, there's so many things. We don't see that in a Zoom call or even worse, we don't see you at all over a phone call. Yeah. So therefore, it makes it so much more difficult. So here you were not only afraid of your own life, but suddenly the whole way you practice medicine is turned topsy-turvy and it's it's chaotic. So talk about stress levels going up big yeah. time for for all the doctors, um, but especially the, the family physicians, the GPs. My, my, my. Yeah, I think like, yeah, I think the frontline docs uh, took the grunt of it, all the hospitalists, mm -hmm. all the primary care docs so like they we all got slammed mm. bloody hell man um how did you hang in there or did you did were you close to losing it at times you know to be honest after uh, like a year and a half i actually stopped inpatient because at that point it was just getting too much inpatient and outpatient and then with my kids I just told them like, look, I'm I'm either gonna do inpatient or outpatient. I'm just gonna stick with outpatient because I can't I can't juggle both anymore. Mm. So I was getting so burnt out that I I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. Even though I have been doing the hybrid model for like six seven years, so after mm. that I was like, nah, I'm done. I very much understand that. 
and it is we have been so lucky here our country closed down um so we had actually uh really i mean when finally um covid came into new zealand and ravaged us it is nothing compared with the united states or with with italy or, or europe in the early stages because we didn't have delta we had omicron um you know yes people do die but it is we were so lucky with hindsight we didn't see that complete exhaustion that complete madness that the united states and many other countries experienced um so it is yeah my heart goes out to all all doctors all first first responders who have lived through that in the united states uh you guys wow i mean we no one can can really imagine what you guys went through unless they have been there it's it's yeah it's a, like a battle that's like a war yeah yeah no no like definitely i don't think anyone can really describe how it felt unless you're actually in it right you can say as much as you want but people can mm. empathize but i don't think they can truly understand mm. what all the primary care uh, all the frontline docs are had to go through exactly like uh, my wife's hospital, they did like a, a camp outdoors where all the COVID patients were and mm -hmm. it got crazy. Like it, it was like driving by, it looks like a military camp with all the camps they put up outside. It was just, mm -hmm. it was like, I remember driving, I was like, I can't believe this is real. I was like, I, it's like a movie, but that's mm -hmm. not ending. Mm -hmm. Exactly. No Brad Pitt here coming to the rescue. So yeah. <laughs> World War Z is still one of my favorites, but come on. I mean, this is just yeah. getting a bit too close to home here, isn't it? Yeah, I was um, just like, oh my God, this is this is too much. And, and then, you uh, were you were lucky because you were able to actually um change the model in which you worked. Um many other people have not been so lucky. They might have been in hospitality uh, or in in other tourist related business, and that would have been wiped out. Uh, many people lost their jobs. Many people oh, yeah. lost family members, etc. So the the toll that it took on on a country uh, has been enormous. And with that, of course, the angst, the, the anxiety, the fear of existence, all the mental health which was already crazy before COVID, um, yeah. is, was now exponentially exploding or imploding, however you look at it. Yeah. Man, and I, I think you unfortunately were on the very personal receiving end there too, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, you know, unfortunately with, uh, uh, you know, since COVID, people's anxiety, depression, you know, all kicked up a notch. You know, including um, my nephews, which I guess no one really knew because um, you know, he ended up committing suicide and the family was all taken back. You know, no one saw it coming. Everyone was blindsided, mm. you know, receiving that news from my mom. It really stunned me. You know, it was... And then, you know, you know, be having the survivor's guilt. I, I felt like, man, I what I could have done differently to kind of change the outcome. You know, if I called them more or visit them more or anything, 
And I think uh, that that was the toughest part, kind of just not knowing if I could have made a difference. So I think at that point, you know, trying to empathize like how what he was feeling and kind of reflecting on the things I went through, you know, how what I deal with, you know, um, that's why it motivated me to write a children's book to help talk about mental health, bring it to the forefront, you know, educate children. Um, I'm not sure how it is in New Zealand, but in the States, you know, we, we teach kids, you know, math, science, English, history, music, art, even sex ed, but we don't talk about a lick of any, anything on mental health. So, you know, to be honest, it's like I didn't know much about mental health until I went to medical school. Because, hmm. I mean, there's no one talks about it, no one brings it up, hmm. and you don't talk yeah. about it with your friends, you don't talk about it with your family. Like, how would you even know about it? That's right. And you're, you're quite right. And guilty as charged over here, at least in the past, we uh, have got the highest youth suicide rate in the OECD here in New Zealand. So unfortunately, many families here know exactly what you're talking about. Um, there are changes and there are public campaigns often run by uh, sports people, comedians, etc., who say it's okay not to be okay. That's one of our, our slogans here. Um, and it's beautiful. Those kind of things are there. I'm uh, in a bit of a more rural part of New Zealand. And when you drive along, you might find a big sign somewhere on a paddock saying, hey, uh, you're not alone. Um, farmers, association for you know give us a ring um if you're struggling those kind of things so it is far more uh coming out there because this is quite a macho country this is quite uh a man's country and when i say man's that sounds stupid i, I should i should say macho because it can women can be macho as well um so forget the gender so don't don't get back to me and say oh he's only talking about man how dare he no 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 um this is this is unisex here okay yeah. unisex macho crap um no one wants to to seek help and i think that is what we need to change and i think it all starts with communication it starts with discussion and your books are essentially an opportunity to exactly start this discussion how beautiful is that? When did you get the idea about about your books? Like I talked, I said earlier, I had little kids, so I read um, a lot of children's books to them, right? And then, you know, my, my wife, my, I don't know how many children's books, she's like our whole house filled with children's books. <laughs> <laughs> Good on her. <laughs> but, and then, you know, like reading the books, you know, they're cute little stories, but then you know, I reflected, I was like, you know, there's really not much um, none of these really kind of touch about the, the tougher topics, right? So, I, and then the, the the books that kind of touch about some of these topics, I think I didn't feel like did did it justice. Mm. So I think that's when I felt like you know I I have so much experience, my own experience, all the patients that that see me, all their stories, you know. Wow. Um, I was like, I feel like, you know, and in, in, I have a, a very unique perspective 
that most publics don't see. I mean, even like therapists, they don't really see all of it that, that like the primary care doctors, the frontline doctors see. So that's why I feel like, like man, I have a, a unique perspective I can tell and show and mm. like even the medical side, like, you know, what mm. signs and symptoms to look yeah. for and, you know, what you may be experiencing. So I, I took that and, and ran with it. Which is beautiful, beautiful. Come on, it's time for show and tell. Show us your books, because Max yeah. needs to come out into the world. <laughs> yeah. So the the first book of the series is the uh, um, the first day of school. It's for Max. Uh -huh. So the uh, premise of the story is that he starts. Uh, Max is the main character, the protagonist. He starts uh, sixth grade, and his goal was to win the uh, national spelling bee. So he's like a big bookworm, you know, he, he works really hard in school. And then uh, the first book, he runs into his bully again. So the first uh, book actually touches on bullying, you know, um, the consequences of bullying to the, the children that get bullied and how you know, we can, what steps we can do to help address bullying mm -hmm. and you know, what you know, the family can do to help uh, help their kids. Um, you know, it's something I talk about. Sometimes a lot of parents, you know, say to kids, you know, uh, toughen up, deal with it, you know, do this and that. Yeah, you know, I kind of feel a little bit dismissive of it. I mean, some kids are able to get through it. And don't get me wrong, but some kids are just not, and it really affects them in a lifetime, you know, their entire life. Mm. I think an uh, example I use is, you know, some kids may have the skills. To, you know, to fight bullying, kind of figure out their way, and some may not. But you're asking them, you may be asking uh, a child that doesn't have those skill set to do something they don't, they never taught to do. Exactly. Like a, like analogy I use is like, let's say I have, I never had any, you know, combat training, and then you throw me into a ring with a professional fighter and, and tell me, yeah, good, good luck. Mm. <laughs> I mean, if I have the skills, what's going to happen? I'm going to get my head taken off. Mm. The same thing applies to kids. You never give them the skills to to help kind of guide them through and you're, you're asking them to do something mm. they're not capable of doing. Mm. I mean, I think that's a kind of unrealistic demand mm. or expectation. So, you know, that's why I want to kind of bring light to more bullying and, and how parents can kind of help their kids kind of mm. navigate through bullying and things they can get do to get involved, get the mm. district involved, get the, you know, mm. get the principal involved and kind of help your kids navigate and figure out, figure it out. Sometimes mm. they, you know, some kids, you know, they, they can figure it out by themselves, you know, they're very crafty and, but, you know, unfortunately, I think most are not able to do that. Yeah. That, and we need to say that children often in their very first few years learn the key skills I mean, 75 percent of what they're learning is basically preschool and guess who are the models yes it's you dear parents and if you are like me working the whole day and then the the few hours that you weren't working i decompressed with alcohol guess what my children saw those kind of coping mechanisms I certainly was not modeling what I was preaching to them. And it is an intriguing thing. That is when I have to say, actually, 
um, with hindsight, I was a shit parent from that angle. Um, but it is okay. It is, it is what it is. It was what it was. But the good news is that that you can change and you can grow and your children will see that too. So therefore, even if maybe in the past was you were not such a great parent, um, I assume there are quite a few parents out there listening now. Guys, the past does not equal the future, okay? You can change right now. You can just make a decision here. And um, that is absolutely beautiful. So therefore, maybe uh, the, the, the beautiful book that you have written there uh, is a, an opportunity for us to, to start a discussion and to, to go there. So Max is dealing with his bully, dealing uh, is learning to, to maybe see different coping mechanisms there. What did, how, does, how do his adventures continue? Yeah, so then uh, book two, it's actually it. Uh, it's called uh, making a new friend. So it actually it pivots to his his bully. So it actually goes into the bully's perspective. Ah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So then I guess you uh, kind of deep dive into uh, the bully's perspective and you know, what's going on and with him and why he acts the way he does. So actually, this uh, this book addresses um, learning disabilities. So. Uh, not to give everything away, but you know his yeah. bully has a learning disability. So oh, beautiful. He, his, uh, so he's his bullying was just his way of acting out and kind of lashing out at, at someone that he feels like is doing so well in school. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Always takes two to tango, and there's always a story behind the story. How beautiful is that? Um, wow. Okay, now we know Max. Now we know the antagonist. Um, how does it continue? I know I don't want to give away too much, but at the same token, I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah, you're you're full in on this, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, book three is called a uh, test day. So uh, it pivots back to Max's perspective, where um, he's waiting for his opportunity to go to the the uh, the national spelling bee but not to give it away but um, essentially this book is actually just uh, showing you how to deal with uh, with failure and the most important ingredient to success is not talent it's not intelligence it's not skill it's actually it's grit good so and true. I, yeah so I think that's a that's a message I want to get across with this is that it's not about the skill. It's not about what you're innately born with. Yeah. It's what is what you do with it. It's what the grit, how gritty you are. How uh, I think there's a study saying, you know, what determines how successful a student is in school? Is it how smart they are? Is it how you know how talented they are and whatnot? But actually, they boil it down to actually it's their grittiness. It's the ability to just take those knocks and just get up and do it again no matter no matter what the the kids that are grittiest actually are the most successful they're not doesn't mean they're they were the smartest kid the most talented kid or anything mm -hmm. like that it's mm -hmm. just I, you want to hammer across that it's it's okay to fail it's okay mm -hmm. to take those knocks mm -hmm. it's okay to have the ups and downs in life you know just like mm -hmm. i told you before like you know my life had a lot of ups and downs you know it did 
um, crazy things in college, but it's the ability to kind of just take those knocks, get mm-hmm. back up and, and keep going. So true. So true. And I think that's that what's ma- what makes a survivor is how many times you, you get back up and not how many times you go down. And I think that is something that we keep forgetting. And I think that is something where maybe previous generations have failed to instill that um, because it was certainly there was this this pressure to perform, uh, this pressure to be a certain person. There were a lot of pressures uh, for me on me to be the best, but it was um, I was maybe by my parents and then later more importantly by myself i continuously set myself up to fail because i set such huge standards that it was virtually impossible to achieve them my standard to-do list couldn't be achieved by a team of people over a week but i expected myself to do that in one day so therefore i set myself up to fail and therefore um i i proved to myself i'm a failure and it did not matter what I had achieved in my life. Uh, I, yeah. I continuously see myself as a failure. That's my default. And so some seriously stuffed up core beliefs going on here. Talk about that. Um, and I think that is something that that without knowing, uh, some of us have instilled in our children too. We don't encourage them to make mistakes. We don't encourage them to to go out there and explore and I see that because I've been, as a doctor, I've been training other doctors in emergency procedures. So, you know, all these courses, ACLS, ALS, ATLS, all these alphabet soups where we talk yeah. emergencies to other doctors. Well, I, I was an instructor for them. And when we when we took doctors and put them under stressful scenario, situations into stressful scenarios, um, they would inevitably make mistakes. And my God, my God, when it then came to the debrief, um, you would ask, well, how do you think it went? And the doctors would basically take the nine-tailed whip out and go, wham, wham, oh, I messed up there, I messed up there, I messed up there. And you just think, oi, 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 uh, stop, what went well? And they would say, uh, nothing. And yet 95% of the scenario went absolutely fine. They did wonderful things, rescued a patient's life, but no, they were hung up on those things where they were not perfect, rather than actually utilizing the scenario, which was on a dummy after all, to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. So that was that is virtually in every single course, that was a culture change that we were trying to bring in, that we were trying to push uh, into people's brains to say, congratulations, you made a mistake. You made it under safe circumstances. Now you will never make this mistake again in real life with a person. How beautiful is that? And it's that kind of, this kind of embracing failure as an opportunity to grow. Oh, my God, we need to so much put that into our children and let them let them see that. Oh, do you model yeah. that yourself with your own children? Do you get to do that? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, 
I have to stop myself sometimes <laughs> watching my kids. Sometimes you kind of just want to stop them and like, that's not right. That's not how you do that. <laughs> and like, be careful. Don't do that. Don't do this. But I, you know, I, I can't say I kind of stop myself. It's just like apparently instincts. But sometimes I think I have to step back and just let them, let them fail. Hmm. And let exactly. them figure it out. I mean, if they're not killing themselves, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Oh, yeah. man. But, oh. But it's hard. It's hard. But we need to embrace that. There's no two ways around that. Make mistakes, but give them guidance and model your own mistakes. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm compete in in my sport, and uh, sometimes I come home with a medal. Um, the last competition I was de uh, de um, disqualified. Um, so yeah, DQ'd exactly. <laughs> um, and I was seriously pissed off with that, but it was quite correctly done. It was I had stuffed up um, for reasons whatsoever, um, and I modeled to my children, but also to the fellow competitors, um, a certain behavior that uh, that you learn from what has occurred and that you remain a team player, that uh, I would stay there to the end, helped everyone else, etc. And it was actually really beautiful. And I came home and my son said, oh, yeah, great. Come on. Did you get a medal? What did you get? And I said, no, I uh, got DQ'd. Uh, oh, oh, um, um, th that had not happened before. And so I, it was... It was good. And I explained what happened, why it happened, and the lessons I learned from it. So hopefully I was actually able to show him that you can learn so much more from a negative outcome than from continuously having wins, wins, and successes. So, and if we can just show that, ah, oh, it's, it's beautiful. It is... <laughs> Hopefully we can we can change the minds of so many people around us, and therefore maybe maybe young people will not feel the urge of harming themselves um, when they when they make a mistake, regardless yeah. what that mistake is, regardless what yeah. that feeling is. Yeah, wow. I think we live in a society where. <laughs> social media puts all the things online how great how awesome all the achievements and everything is i think it puts this this image in your head like you have to be perfect like you can't make mistakes you have to be the best and you know all these gurus saying you know you gotta be the work hard be the best whatever in, in your uh whatever you may do but sure. they they forget that to get to the top you gotta take a lot of knocks like you miss a lot of you gotta take a lot of L's to get to that W, <laughs> but uh, I think they don't. No one shows that on social mm. media mm. that all the L's that they've taken in their life uh, to get to where they are. So I think it's it mm. it makes this this mentality where like you can't fail, <laughs> right? I mean, especially like as doctors in medicine, oh, like yeah. we, everyone's so cutthroat, like, oh, I got to get better grade than that guy. Mm. You know, like it's just mm. a constant competition that that I don't think it allows you to kind of step back and you know, accept a failure and mm. not take that as like, mm. like, a, uh, like a negative mark on your resume, sure, right? Sure, 
structure. But let's be clear about that. Let's let's. I mean, there are certain kind of failures. You know, if someone dies, maybe not so good. You know, I, yes. I understand the public perception. Come on, you know, come on. We want to get through that anesthetic in one yes. piece, preferably. With two kidneys still in, um, okay, <laughs> stop it. Um, no, the the reality is, though, um, we all are human beings, and over the last five years, I've made quite a culture change within my own theatre, within my own teams, um, to encourage people to be open about their weaknesses and about their their maybe not being 100% right now. And it's so beautiful when a nurse or, or an anesthetic technician comes to me and says, hey, look, you know, I haven't slept so well last night and my mom is in hospital or whatsoever. I had a big row with my wife. You know, I'm a bit distracted. Um, uh, can you just watch my back? And that is the biggest sign of respect that someone can show me that they are open to me about their own weakness. And with that, we make sure that as a team, we look after each other. And that's so beautiful. But you can only do so when you accept that you are not 100%, when you accept that you are a human being who makes mistakes. And that is why we put systems into place to protect us. And that's why, why a good team looks out for each other and make sure that every single member is is uh, having a say, um, is being able to communicate, and that's beautiful. So if we can model that, then maybe yeah, that we can do the same in our families. We can maybe model exactly those behaviors. And I'm very good at work doing that. I wasn't so good at home doing that. So I have to admit, I'm still working on that. And I guess my time is running out. My my boys are 20 and 21. So I've missed that boat. I can now maybe influence their grandchildren. Um, but yeah, it is what it is with regards to my boys. You have got still some time. Yours are still young, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're two and four. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Get all the kudos you can. Absolutely. Every single one of them. <laughs> but you can change you can you can you can leave a mark and you have done that already our daddy has written a book <laughs> i don't think they even know what's going on <laughs> <laughs> not yet not yet give it a year or two <laughs> so are there other books in the making yeah, so that's the first three books in the series it's a yeah. total of eight books oh wow so um the uh, next book actually shifts to uh, Max's best friend, uh, where um, I don't want to give it away, but basically she edges him out and goes to the National Spelling Bee. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Excellent. So you've got it all. You've got it all mapped out in your head already, haven't you? Yeah. Oh, beautiful. And I do understand that you are actually the artist. Mm -hmm. Open open the book up. Show us a little bit how you what you created sure. there. What is your style? Yeah, so actually uh, when I was thinking about the uh, characters, you know, I actually purposely made them animals instead of humans because I didn't want to exclude anybody. Like if I you know, picked a, <laughs> like a, a particular ethnicity, I don't want to like make people feel like you know, they can relate to them. So I Excellent. just picked, picked animals. Uh -huh. So. So this is the first book here. Yeah. Uh, got clear. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Excellent. So it's a mouse. Yeah, so he's a mouse. And then I guess it's, 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 he's getting ready for school. Excellent. I think he's uh, that's yeah. his bully on the bus. Ah, beautiful. Okay. Oh, yeah. you did so well there. These are lovely, lovely Thank drawings. You. Yeah, so basically I uh, I decided on uh, the uh, animals of the Zodiac. So that's what you know, uh, we used. So then instead of humans, I did the Zodiac signs. Perfect. Well, you've showed yours. Uh, here is Esme, the mindful mouse. Um, and I'm so surprised. I didn't realize that Max is actually a mouse. So here you go. <laughs> the oh, nice. New Zealand equivalent. So that is Esme, uh, who is a very vivacious and lovely mouse who is going out there living her life. But often enough, her actions are actually hurting her best friends. And so they get angry with her. And she thinks, oh, she's a bad mouse. When really, she has has only done something silly so she is not bad but the action she has taken and the action she has done was maybe not so clever and that is all about the mindfulness so esme the mindful mouse um is maybe nice. a, <laughs> exactly is maybe just a the, the maybe a partner for max the mouse uh in yeah. the future who knows <laughs> max must come for a holiday into new zealand <laughs> oh excellent Oh, beautiful. So see, here we are, the power of storytelling. And we have used our past, maybe the darkness in our past, to now create light. You have gone out there uh, from the experiences that you had, both as a man um, and as a doctor, and you decided to stand up for mental health and to, you can't rescue everyone, but to at least do something. And maybe start a discussion somewhere and we're better than within the family unit and that's what you're achieving so you are actually changing lives not by being a doctor but by, by bringing out these beautiful books and for that i commend you this is beautiful so i can't wait for the next next five to come out which is fantastic so when if people want to get some of these books where can they find them yeah, you can buy them from, uh, go to my website, the www.theadventuresofmaxandfriends.org, or you just put in Google uh, the Adventures of Max and Friends, and I think you should find my, my website, and it has the dates for the release of each books. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast. We have got uh, these uh, links there. So go out there, guys. Uh, it's soon Christmas. Nee, in actual fact, you're, you're, if you were to be kept in the sequence in which we were doing the recording, you unfortunately would be, I think, the 27th of December, which is a tad late for Christmas. So I think I, I will bring you forward because I think this is a beautiful Christmas present there waiting oh. for some parents there. Um, so let's make the most out of it. And I will sneak you somehow in early um, just because it is such a beautiful uh, Christmas present potentially waiting there for some uh, parents, grandparents, whoever is listening. So this yeah. is this is cool. Thank you. I, actually, a story I want to share um so at the clinic actually uh we have our uh, we have a pharmacy there so we have a whole group of pharmacists and uh, pharmacy techs and all of those pharmacy staff you know so they actually uh found out about my book and you know they uh, they wanted to support it so um i said you know what i can get just the uh copies were super cheap for from the uh 
the author's copies. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I got a bunch of copies for everybody there. And when the pharmacist, she actually, uh, she ran to me and in the hall, she said, oh, uh, uh, let me tell you something. I was like, oh, okay. So I thought she was not talking about a patient, right? Yeah. She was like, oh, no, no, it's about your book. I was like, oh, oh, oh. so I, was, I thought she was like giving me feedback. I was like, oh, how did you like it? She's like, oh, no, yeah, I really liked it. But actually, um, I, I gave it to my niece to read. And then I talked to her about your book. Um, and she said, we, and then she actually opened up to me that she's been bullied for the past two years and she uh, didn't tell her parents. Uh, so I guess that kind of opened up, you know, uh, the conversation for her to talk to her niece about bullying and you know, what, how to deal with it. So, you know, it actually made me like kind of teary eyed because like, that's exactly what I was hoping for it to happen. Like exactly. for, for parents to take this opportunity to talk to their kids about, about these tubs like really tough subjects like i mean having my kids i can't imagine just contact them hey you know, let's talk about anxiety and depression and about suicide <laughs> you know they're just like, i know i know how do you do like, it yeah i'm like what the heck was wrong with you dad exactly <laughs> I, I just but, can't imagine that yeah it will happen it will happen but it will happen in 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 a different way um for me it was often that I was driving and driving the kids to school or something like that. And suddenly it would be as if someone is punching me in the gut and I would go like that. And they said, Oh, what's, what's initially they asked, what's going on that, you know, you're right. And I said, Oh, it's just a, a funny thought. And it was basically, a, um, um, my PTSD, basically something came back, some, some thought, uh, came back. And so they, they, when they realized that these were things where maybe I was not at my best behavior in the past, they said, oh, come on, dad, dad, tell us more, tell us more about your past. And some of the things I told them. And so you can make that, you can take these opportunities and be honest about your own failures and be honest about those things that you found difficult. So it's often enough if you pay attention, life throws you cues left, right, and center. If you want to talk to your children about something, it's not difficult. It really isn't. Many of us just don't have the balls or the ovaries to actually do yeah. that. I think that's the big yeah. difference. Many of us are too hurt ourselves. There are we are still suffering and trying to escape our own realities. Um, we haven't done the healing yet. We haven't learned to love ourselves. So therefore, it makes it so difficult to therefore talk to our children about something, about a trauma. If you think about it, one in three women in the United States will have been sexually abused or raped, uh, one in seven men. These are hard statistics. When you're now talking bully and abuse, well, has this woman or this man actually dealt with their own history, with their own trauma? And chances are, if they're coming from one or two generations back, hell no. So... These are the things. So it's it's not as easy um, as we make it sound, but you are bringing difficult topics in a playful way into the family and therefore opening up the doors, maybe just a teensy little bit, but that is enough to let some light shine into someone's darkness and you never know where that leads. Yeah, no, and, no definitely. I, I think, you know, with mental health, the problem with mental health is that you know, we're such a reactive culture. 
mm. instead of a proactive. I think just like with our physical health, it's better yeah. to be proactive than be reactive, right? I, I think that's why it's better to kind of talk to your kids, educate them before mm. things like this happen. Otherwise, mm. you know, once you know, once you sometimes you figure out like my nephew, once that's kind of too low, too late. I mean, that's if there's a proactive end, I think that may have made a difference. You are making that difference, Ni. Uh, you are going out there and you're taking action. And that is exactly how we make a difference by making small steps or actually big steps. A book is a big step where I come from. Um, so you're taking massive, giant leaps here towards making this world a better place. And this is so beautiful. So please don't stop. Don't give up because there will be hard times for you as well as an author. There will be hard times for you as a doctor and as a man. So maybe we just need to, to have more talks like the two of us infuse each other and say, hey, it's okay to, to have a bit of a dark spell and a bit of a writer's block and a bit of uh, yeah. God, you know, that's normal. Okay, maybe we give each other a bit of, of room here. And yeah then we can grow even if we come towards an obstruction maybe we can just grow around it okay yeah. yeah no definitely you know what i didn't expect though actually you know i'm not sure you felt this way but you know after writing the book it's kind of therapeutic just oh hell yes getting it out there getting on the paper and yeah. it was just it's kind of therapy for me too <laughs> beautiful because no doubt you have addressed some of those those memories some of those faults by by channeling it into a positive something you may now sense out of the suffering that you went through and that is beautiful that's exactly why what, what happens with me with my steps to sobriety i thought why the hell is that all you know what did i do what did i do that all for well yeah. now i've got the answer because i can make this world a little bit better one book one interview one discussion at a time so this is this is a beautiful world. It's it has challenges more than I like, but hey, it is what it is. Yeah. Nee, you're an amazing man. Uh, it is beautiful. I think we might we make another date maybe in a year's time because so in which frequency do the, do you get them out? Um, how often? <laughs> what is your plan? What is your scheduled release dates? I, uh, I I'm trying to release them uh, once a month. Once a month. Wow, yeah. you're a busy boy. <laughs> Actually, the, the whole series is, is done. I'm just releasing them slowly. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. I thought these were still, some of them were still concepts oh, in no. your mind. Oh, no, that's done. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Oh, man, you're you're amazing. Amazing. So keep going. And I mean, one last question. Who do you want to be when you grow up? When I was a kid? No. Now, who do you want oh. to be when you grow up? <laughs> who is the new knee? Who is the, you've done your children's book series. You're releasing them now. What is the new dream? You know, to be honest, I think it's a big dream, but I, I hope that the series gets picked up by school districts and you know, gets taught in the classroom. So they, it's something part of the syllabus that they get taught, you know, um, you know, alongside their math classes, their science classes, their, their everything else that is something that you know, they can discuss 
with each other without mm-hmm. feeling shame or embarrassment. You know, discuss with teachers. You yeah. know, go home and talk to their parents. Like, hey, mom, I learned about this at school today. I mean, that that's that's truly what I hope for the books to, that you know that it can actually make a difference in the education system. Because, like I said before, like I didn't know anything about mental health. I mean, you don't know anything about mental health until you go through it, right? Absolutely. Because uh, uh, no one t- teaches about it. Parents don't mm. talk to you about it, obviously. Mm. <laughs> I wish you all... Okay, what I wish you is that your books fall into the little hands of a person who says, hey, granddad, you're, you're running the school district, don't you? Hey, this is a really cool thing that I've seen. You know, do it this way around. If, if, if we can just make that happen that would be so nice uh that would be so nice that the powers to be um can can use that so i don't know how you go about it um if someone out there from from our our tribe here if anyone else there has an idea come on get in touch down there here's there is Ni dang's website um get in touch with the guy um uh, offer him advice or or whatever you guys can do support um buy his book uh, because that is the the mm-hmm. biggest thing his books shall i say um and yeah just make the most out of life ni thank you so much for being a guest on my show i truly appreciated this interview thank you so much thank you for having me here it was a pleasure talking to you getting to know you and your books as well <laughs> hopefully max can get to know <laughs> well exactly max and esme they need to have yeah. a little date don't they yeah <laughs> cool and you guys out there look after yourself and live with passion bye <laughs> i never give up i never give up i never give up turn around